0: Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast
1: Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one.
2: to episode 67 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey
1: Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we are going to have a little holiday magic. How does Woo. that sound? Woo-hoo. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I was just... Brainstorming with Matt before we started uh, choosing our topic for this episode. And I was like, you know what, Matt, there's a lot of fun holiday activities out there. So today's featured content is all about the fun holiday themed kind of activities that you can do in your classroom in all different grade levels. There's something here for everyone. So we're going to follow Santa. We're going to explore some different Types of culture and do some coding and all kinds of fun stuff in this episode. So, we also have, of course, a couple of news and updates and some fabulous mailbag questions from our listeners and a couple of things just to share with you from the blogosphere. So, are you ready to get going, Matt?
2: Ho, ho, ho. Let's go, go, go. <laughs> Let's get started with our news and updates. And this week, as we're recording this, which will be last week when you're listening to it, is CS Ed Week. And this is where CS, of course, is computer science. This is where we're incorporating computer science and coding and all of that and kind of making a more intentional push for it. And even though uh, Computer Science Education Week was officially last week, this is one of those things that can continually be wrapped into classes and be thought of kind of all throughout the entire year. There, there are lots of, lots of things that you can try out, especially I think at the end of a semester like this. Uh, if you're getting down to the end of the semester and you're going to have some students with some free time on their hands as we wrap up projects, as we uh, finish up with final exams and stuff like that, some of these things are really good to have. And so within. This article that we found on the keyword blog, it's got lots of different resources that you can use with your students in your class, and it gives links to the Hour of Code, Made with Code, the Grasshopper Coding App, and the Applied Computing Series, which all have things that you can use immediately in your class. But it does highlight this particular CS first activity that they call an unusual discovery, which is kind of cool. And they have a, um, a teacher librarian that they interview from Illinois, who talks about how she's using it. And so she mentions, among other things, that she uses this activity for students to be able to talk about... Um, stories and to be able to customize stories with different backgrounds, sprites and dialogue. And so it's it's pretty cool to see how this is brought into her um, into her realm within the library. So lots of things for everybody to use here. If you're looking for something coding related, computer science related here at the end of the year, as you start to wrap things up, there's lots of good stuff here in this in this article.
1: That is fabulous. There's always so many really cool things happening in in the coding world and helping to make that more engaging for students. So I hope you will all begin to share how the Hour of Code and CS Ed Week has gone for you too. So we would love to hear um, about the various activities and the, the results that you had. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about arts and culture, right? Yay, Google Arts and Culture! Yay! Yay, Yay, Google Arts and Culture! Yay! Yay. It always seems that we have something from Google in the arts and culture um, updates. So what we have here is they're selling this as an art gallery in your pocket, although I kind of feel like we've already had several art galleries in our pockets from Google, but this is specific to Vermeer, which I hope I'm not butchering that name too too much. But um, the the you can experience all of Vermeer's paintings in augmented reality. So what they have done is they have they have collected all of these together, including um, the Girl with a Pearl Earring, which is the most famous one. So if you if you see this, even if the title doesn't ring a bell, I guarantee you, when you see this painting, you will recognize it, and um, it's, it's actually um, missing because some of these works of art were stolen several years ago. And in fact, mm. they still remain on the FBI's list of stolen art. So um, some of these things you can experience here through the Google Arts and Culture um, website. And you can see all kinds of stuff. So you'll see like a, a, an augmented reality of a museum where you can go and explore all of the different pieces of artwork. And of course it works on your phone, meaning it it's something that can be in your pocket. Did you ever think we would have um, access to museums just in our pocket? But we do. It's just an awesome world that we live in. So you can explore um, all of these different types of things and more They have a ton of additional links in here to take you to um, things like an interactive coloring book on Instagram or um, some uh, an original series from from the YouTube creators that all tie back to Vermeer's artwork. So there's all kinds of things in here. And if you're looking to bring a little more culture into your classroom or personally, if you uh, just need to get a little more cultured yourself, (laughs) this is a great place to start.
2: Yeah, this is such a cool thing. And I was starting to look at that interactive coloring book thing. That looks pretty cool. This is There's a lot of really neat features to all of this. And of course, if you want to find these links or anything else we talk about in the show today, please do go to googleteachertribe.com slash 67.
1: Hey, y'all. The... Christmas holiday season is upon us, no matter what it is that you celebrate this time of year. Um, It is a very special season, especially um, in the United States, I know, and all over the world. So there are so many fun things that we can do in our classroom to bring a little bit of the season and the excitement into what we're doing with our students. And one of those, probably the most popular of all, is the Santa tracker. So um, if you happen to have um, some students, maybe, or children of your own who are listening, they do not want to miss out on this. This is super cool. So if you've never experienced the Santa tracker, it got some really cool updates this year. So they're always adding these new ways that not only you track Santa as he traveling through and coming from the North Pole to deliver toys to all the boys and girls, but also some fun games that you can do while you're waiting. So there is now a new little elf game where you can use the Elf Maker to customize your elf. And yes, there's even a cowboy hat if you want to put that on your elf this year. So um, you can get your elf all dressed up for all of the North Pole shindigs. And you know what? Did you see who wrote this article, Matt?
2: I think it looks like, is that Mrs. Claus?
1: Mrs. Claus herself wrote this article. And you know what?
2: I did not know that she was the vice president of product for Santa's Village and Santa tracker for Google.
1: She is. Wow. She is the woman behind the man. You know, there's always one. Right.
2: That's That's
1: true. That's true. <laughs> but you know what? She she really has a hard time keeping up with Santa. And I can imagine that he you know, he's moving pretty quickly to get all of those toys out on Christmas Eve. So you know what? You know how she tracks him? Google Maps.
2: Oh, of course. That's great. Yes,
1: yes, yes. So uh, Santa shares his location with Mrs. Claus through Google Maps so that she can keep an eye on him and make sure everything is running smoothly on Christmas Eve there's even more like we could probably have done this entire episode just on what's in the Santa tracker, Mm -hmm. but um, there are also some other fun games in here. So you don't want to miss a beat. Um, They've got all kinds of things like holiday photos and local guides and some other fun quizzes that are powered by Google Earth and Street View, one of which we're going to talk about in just a little bit as well. So so don't miss out on the Santa Tracker app, which is available on the web and on iOS and Android. So you can pretty much access it just about anywhere. So if your kiddos are really interested in what Santa's doing, you don't want to miss out on this one.
2: Definitely. Before we got recording, actually, I was playing with some of these. I was there. There's a couple of them in the village that have to do with coding. I was actually just, I may have been playing one while Casey was talking, but I promise I was paying attention. And right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so one of them is called the code lab where it uses kind of like a uh, block coding where you drag in different blocks to do different things. I know before, um, before we started recording the show, I was playing one where I was having an elf walk from like square to square on a grid to go pick up a, um, go pick up a present. And then there was another one where Santa's elves were dancing and it was like a, um, it's kind of like a dance activity where they code the dance moves. So you, you're able to follow along with the the dance instructor. And so even within this, you know, we've, we've kind of got this, um, kind of got this thread going through the episode about coding we keep coming back to that and even in the um santa tracker in santa's village there there are some coding opportunities in there too so um again fun if you've got your own kids at home fun if you've got kids at school that have a little bit of time to do something like this so Anyway, that's- oh,
1: and and Matt, yeah. one big tip for teachers too, because this is going to drive you crazy when you open the Santa Tracker. There's music playing in the background, so just remember, um, on Chrome, you can go up to the tab and just click on the little speaker icon, and it will mute it. That might be a little tip you need to teach all your kids. So <laughs> just to save your sanity,
2: right? Yes, absolutely. Very, very good. So, so that's um, that has to do with the Santa Tracker. Now, another one that has become sort of an institution at my house with my kids is the Google Assistant. And so in addition to all of the many things you can do with Google Assistant, whether it's on your phone or we have a couple of Google Homes set up throughout our house, there are some things that you can do related to the holiday season with your Google Assistant. So, for instance, this is a newer one. Um, I don't know if this uh, if this fits so well with, um, with the holiday season, but I still want to mention it. Did you know that now instead of just asking the Google Assistant to do something, if you ask politely and you say, pretty please, it'll give you a, a nice little response. Like it'll say, thanks for asking so nicely. So there are there are a couple of um you know just sort of a way to embed a little bit of extra politeness into day.
1: That reminds me of something else. So um one I think this time last year was when we had our little contest between getting Alexa and the Google Home to to sing for us. So um you know if you have access to either one you can have some fun, but you just reminded me of a parody and um it's about the the amazon echo if it was available for southerners and so (laughs) if if alexa could help us oh no she's gonna start talking to me in a second if if she could help us in the south um she would be also teaching manners which is funny because in the if you if you go to youtube and you look it up you'll see that she's like um and what do you say please. Thank you. You know, all those kinds of things. Of course, she won't let you order canned biscuits either, but we'll talk about that one next
2: time. (laughs) And if she does something you don't like, will she say, bless your heart? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> See, I'm learning a little bit about this this Southern culture here. So, oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so pretty please is part of the Google Assistant. You can also do gift lists too. So, if you um, ask your assistant to add something to the gift list, then it'll pull up a list that you can you, you can add things to. Um, there are sing-alongs also, especially if you have a Google Play Music subscription. Then there are different things. Oh, now my. Google assistant is going nuts over here. And then you can also talk to Santa too, which is a neat little feature of, um, the assistant. So all you have to do is just ask her to call Santa and, um, then there's this fun holiday concert that Santa is setting up with or, or for and you get to hear him kind of talk about that and, and interact with him back and forth. So anyway, um, bringing the Google Assistant into the holiday uh, season, whether you're doing it with your students or with your family or whatever, it's a lot of fun.
1: And you know what? This is kind of getting me into the holiday spirit, Matt. I'm telling you, I... I've had a hard time this year and I, it feels like the year just went by so fast and suddenly I'm hearing Christmas music. I'm like, no, it can't be December already. So I feel like I've been in a bit of rebellion mostly just because I can't believe that it's already here. But, um, I think this is, this is helping to put me into the Christmas spirit and you know what this time of year means for me, Matt?
2: Um, well, since you live in Texas, it's probably flip flops and shorts.
1: No, actually, it's 40 degrees right now. So, no, not flip-flops today. Okay. But for me personally, this time of year I means shopping. Uh, yeah. So I do love, love some shopping, y'all. And there is a really unique tool that Google put together. I believe this came out last year, but it's still pretty cool. It's called Window Wonderland. And you can explore a virtual walking tour of New York's. Holiday window displays. So you know the big traditions: Macy's, Bloomingdale's, all of those, and it will walk you through. So if you've ever seen um, Google Google's Night Walk, it's a little bit similar, but you can you can go, and of course, you're exploring this in 360, so you can look all the way around, up and down, and see all of the displays. It just blows my mind um, when I see how amazing these window displays are and, and they are so intricate. I mean, these are planned all year. I mean this is this is truly, you know, some art that has come together for you to see um, all of these windows, and you know, I was in New York for Thanksgiving last year, and they were just beginning to put this stuff up, and it just—it's uh, just magical. There's there's something very magical about New York at Christmas time, and we don't all get to go there, and some of us don't want to fight the crowds to get there. But it it's nice to be able to explore these virtually. So I, I really like it. the the light displays are just. Amazing. So so this this is this is giving me a little bit of a of a Christmas spirit here, Um, getting ready to go shop for my family.
2: Yes. I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's so true. It's interesting, the triggers that we see and the things that come up and it starts to create that like holiday spirit in our, in our hearts, so to speak. So, um, another one that you can check out that's pretty cool is Google earth has this quiz that you can take about holiday traditions. And these are a wide variety of holidays from all over the world. And what's neat about it is it will ask you a bunch of questions So you can see I've kind of been playing along again, totally paying attention, but um, I've gotten the first two questions right on this nine question quiz. And so what it will do is it'll ask you a question to see if you know, like the question I'm on right now is which city is home to the world's largest Hanukkah menorah? And so I'm going to guess on that one. I got that one wrong, but I'm not going to tell you where it is because you have to take it yourself. But then it zooms in to where... For instance, in this case, that largest Hanukkah menorah is using Google Earth. And so then you get to see it from up above in full 3D uh, reconstructed glory. And then you go on to your next question. So, you know, talk about this is, you know, pretty educational. It does touch on lots of different um, holiday traditions all around the world. And you do get to see them kind of up close and personal on Google Earth. So definitely go check that one out.
1: I love that. I took that quiz, too. And there were a lot of really interesting facts that came up that I I didn't know, Um, although they do give you a little clue with an image at the top. And sometimes if you're familiar with certain cultures, you might be able to to more educatedly educatedly that's is that uh, that's, that's a new word that I just made up we're gonna put it in the dictionary yeah. and um, have a more educated answer though by using that so um, I had a lot of fun with it and some of them you can explore more 360 and some other things too so um, like like we seem to be seeing the 360 the virtual reality just is sort of creeping into every little piece of, of, of Google and everything that we do so anyway. I am going to move on to something that's actually not from Google, but Mm. just because it's too much fun not to mention. So if you have been preparing and participating in the hour of code, you may already know this, but just in case you don't, there is a Grinch version of the hour of code game. So it is the, again, the drag and drop, um, the, um, type of coding that you can do where you can program different things. So what you're going to do is you're going to try to save all the presents and bring them back to Whoville. So it is a super fun game. And of course, the kids just love the Grinch. And in fact, the sound is playing again. So it's another one you want to mute. But um, this is just a a great way to get kids um, learning the basics of of the, the logic behind coding, right? So they're not, they're not having to write scripts and things like that, but that's, if you've never participated in anything like this, this is something um, you can do at just about any age. I want to say the Grinch is for, uh, I forgot, like eight to 14, I think is really what it was geared towards, but Hey, if I can play it, anybody can play it. So I've had a lot of fun with these over the years. Of course, the frozen, um, that version was particularly popular. And of course, Star Wars and other things, but this year we got Dr. Seuss. So, um, the Grinch is, is stealing the hour of code. So I think this is super fun.
2: Yes. Yeah, it really is. And I love the fact that there's so many of these things out there anymore. You know, we keep coming back to coding related things in this uh, in this episode. And, you know, you think just a few years ago, you might have been hard pressed to find just a couple of things. And now there's just a ton of them. And so let's let's look at another one. This is this is one where you design your own holiday emoji. So this is part of Made with Code, which is one of Google's initiatives to help people um, understand coding and do coding a little bit more. And it is very much based on the, the block style of coding, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where um, with your emoji, you pick – you know there, there's a variety of different um, things that you can select. So you select the setting. You select the character, you know, what kind of person you want to be on there. And then you can customize their eyes, their mouth, their accessories, a variety of different things. Once you're done with that, uh, you can also change the variables around. So you're moving all the different pieces around on the screen using X, Y coordinates. So for me, I put one on here with a little person and then I gave him a cell phone and I had to bring the, the Y coordinate up. So that I was able to push the um the phone down the screen and then off to the side to make it look like he was holding it up. And then when you're done with it, you hit the done button, you're able to share it by either downloading it or pushing it out to a variety of different social networks like Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, so on and so forth. so. Anyway, just kind of a, a fun little way to create something that represents you during the, um, the holidays and to be able to share it with other people and even learn a little bit about coding along the way
1: awesome. I love the Made with Code program. I think it's it's fantastic. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I'm going to share an activity that I created a few years ago, um, the whole magnetic poetry idea. I made a winter version. So um, of course, you can go get the template and everything in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 67. But let me tell you a little bit about what this is. So I've done different versions of magnetic poetry, again, taking the idea of literally the little magnets we have on our refrigerator where we are sort of challenged to use the few words to, you know, tell a story or a poem or whatever it is that we're doing. I looked at that and I was like, okay, let's make this digital. And so I've done different versions. I've done some in drawings and I've done some in slides. This particular one is in Google Slides and I have a free template with all the words already in there in the wintry background that you can use. But um, this was actually something that uh, my friend Shannon Miller asked me to do to participate in the Winter Around the World project back in 2015. So it was a really fun project and you can see um, the kids using the poetry and we collected them all in one slide deck from kids around the world. So again, you know, the power of Google, right? And using something like Google Slides where you can have multiple, um, you know, versions of things, meaning each kid can have their own slide. And it was a fantastic Um, activity for students. So it it can be really fun. And of course, you know, you can take this, you can be inspired by this, create your own, do whatever you want with it. But um, it can be used at a lot of different grade levels. So, you know, sort of depending on the words and things like that. And I think the challenge for me is really using A limited vocabulary, but if you want to add more text boxes and add your own words, or uh, if you even want to learn how to create your own, I have a free course that's linked here too, so you can learn how to create your your own magnetic poetry. And you know, I think this just goes back to almost everything Matt and I seem to share here is the magic of Google Slides, right? It just it it's so flexible; it allows us to do so many different things. So I thought the winter version was appropriate to share with our little holiday theme today.
2: Yeah, I think that this is one, whenever we get around to a holiday, this is something that we can easily share because you've got different varieties of it. There's Halloween, there's winter, you know. So, um, yeah, definitely a good one to share there. So there you have it. Lots of different holiday activities that your students and maybe your kids or maybe even you might want to try out as we get closer and closer to all of these winter holidays. And, of course, if you want to get links to any of these things so you can try them out yourself, share them with your students or whatever, uh, feel free to go to our show notes at GoogleTeacherTribe.com slash 67. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. All right, tribe, it is time to dig into the mailbag. Not Santa's bag of presents yet but the mailbag and we've got lots of stuff and I've got to tell you um, we have a little bit of backlog of, of mail from the tribe so to speak so if you sent something in and um, are going man I wonder if they're ever going to get to it we have a large um, metaphorical stack of uh, mail to go through So, and there's only so much that we can do in an episode so if you've sent something in that doesn't mean that it will never ever get used uh, we do try to get to as many of them as we can but we can't get to everything. So um, we're going to pull these two out today. Uh, So the one I'm going to talk about comes from, I'm going to say that his name is Mike Sapanik. And uh, he says he loves the podcast and he's begun using Google Slides and it is awesome. You were right. Yeah, we we are big fans of Google Slides. And he says, I was recently inspired by Matt's Sticky Notes post that I mentioned in the podcast earlier. It's a Google Slides template that I created. If you go to ditchthattextbook.com and just search for Sticky Notes, um, you'll be able to find it. And it's basically just a big um, board on Google Slides where you can move Sticky Notes around and put little... Arrows in between them and all that. I use it to organize presentations I'm going to do. I'm actually using it to organize the book that I'm writing, uh, Tech Like a Pirate, which is a follow up to Dave Burgess's Teach Like a Pirate. Um, Don't know if I mentioned that. I may have mentioned that in a previous episode. But um, that's the one that he's talking about. And you can go get it yourself. Anyway, he says, I've used it for another idea, student card sorting, which I think is such a cool idea. He says, I've attached a little engaged acti- engage activity I'm doing with my biology classes cell unit. The student sort some cards into two piles representing has cells and does not have cells. And I looked at his example. He does have a couple of links here in the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 67. If you want to click on them and see how he's kind of made this his own. And so... Um, Basically, when you click in on this, he's got all of these pre-created uh, sticky notes, so to speak, and each one has a link out to an article with more information. And so when you're trying to figure out if it's made of cells or not made of cells, you can click on the link and go and read about it. Then you can even go to the next page where it says, after sorting each of the objects, explain your thinking. Describe the rule you use to decide whether something was made up of cells or not. And I love that. Because that's such an easy way to infuse just a little bit of extra critical thinking into your activities is just have students explain their answer, justify, give the rationale behind what they did. So this is just a, a really cool remix of this activity that I shared out on Ditch That Textbook. So, Mike, thank you so much for sending both of those in and for um, and for your direction slides as well.
1: Yeah, that's fabulous. We love it when we get the links and the examples that we can share too. So y'all, y'all be sure to keep those coming. Now, the question that that I'm going to cover here comes to us from Sharon Taylor in New Zealand, and she left us a voice message. So take it away, Sharon.
0: Hi, Matt and Casey. My name's Sharon Taylor, and I'm a teacher right down at the southern tip of New Zealand in Invercargill, love the podcast, keeps me in touch with the rest of the world. Um, so I don't feel quite so far away. I've been using Google slide decks a lot, following um, some of the discussions you've had over the last 12 months. And I've got two problems that, that crop up. And one is trying to track who has done what, particularly if someone's deleted someone else's work. In Google Docs, it's really easy, it's all color coded in the version history, doesn't seem to be in the slide deck. I was wondering if there was a way that I could track a little bit more accurately than just knowing who's been on at that time. our other problem may be our Wi-Fi. I don't know, and I've not heard anyone mention it before, but when everybody is working on the same slide deck, we have a huge amount of glitching. Uh, it just doesn't work, um, which is disappointing. But if it's our Wi-Fi, well, there's not a lot I can do about that at the moment. Um, I just wondered if anyone else has had the same problems. Uh, Keep up the good work. It's great. Thanks very much.
1: Okay, Sharon, I feel your pain. um, And I bet many who are listening to this episode feel this as well. The revision history inside slides is much harder to track than it is when we're in Google Docs. And so, I've actually, in order to answer your question, was opening up a collaborative slide deck of my of my own. Um, actually, our Googsmacked slide deck from ISTE oh. Matt, and um, and it is it's really difficult, especially um, because this is a huge slide deck, and when you Get towards the end, it becomes really difficult because you have to scan through every slide. It's not going to automatically take when you click on one of the revisions to take you there. It just highlights it. And then you have to go find the slide where that highlight color appears. So I definitely understand that this is much more difficult to track. And, um, you know, as part of your question, Really, kids who are accidentally deleting each other is probably one of the biggest problems. And my advice for this is this tends to get better over time. So, you know, you went the first time you do it, you really need a lot of sandbox time. You know, don't jump in and immediately start working on, um, the the actual content or product that they're going to create. Give them some play time. Let them experience things um, as they accidentally click on or delete and things like that. The other thing that has been really useful, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, is to assign students to a certain slide, although they don't always go to that slide. And one of the ways you can organize that is by creating a table of contents at the beginning and linking their names to their assigned slide. So um, that that can be really useful too. But I feel like this is something that a lot of people from the tribe will want to chime in on as well um, because it, it is very common. And I'll tell you, this is the same thing that happens when I teach adults. So, <laughs> you know, teachers do it too. It's not just the kids. And usually it's it's not really malicious. They're not deleting things. They may do that later down the road. But at first, when they're first trying to, to learn how to use it, but um, there is some of that. And and like I said, I've seen this with adults too, or somebody changed the background color and applies it to everybody's slide and suddenly everybody gasps in the classroom at the same time. But Again, that's part of the learning curve. And I think the more you do it, the better this will get. And another consideration is I don't know how many people or how many students you have in one class is you could divide them into groups or even just in half and and take away a little bit more of the chaos so that they're not working with such a large group. To eliminate maybe some of the the extra clicking, but if anybody from the tribe has additional ways that you manage that, please, you know, chime in and leave us a message um, to share that.
2: Definitely. In fact, I was just talking about this with a group. Um, actually, a shout out to the International Christian School of Vienna, Austria. I was on a uh, a video call with them recently, and this was one of the questions that came up and um, she was saying that it, it didn't happen so much when students were building slides as when they tried to click on each other's slides and tried to add comments. And of course the commenting and collaboration part of something like that is my favorite part and the whole reason that I like to do it. And so I know with that, if you're able to click on the space outside of the slides, you know, where there aren't any individual things, um, of course, you can click on individual items in slides and add comments specifically to that. But if you want to take an extra precautionary step, just have them click on that space on the outside and not on anything in particular inside the slide. And then, you know, you won't be selecting anything and that could that could maybe help. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the big question, like Casey alluded to earlier, is are they trying to be malicious about it or is it just accidental? The accidental stuff, you know, a lot of times gets worked out through, you um, through more practice, but the malicious stuff, you know, I think a lot of times with me, I like to remind them, Hey, this is better than the alternative, right? And you can come up with lots of alternatives that they probably wouldn't like to do. So anyway, that was a great question. And thank you, Sharon, for asking it. And of course, if you want to check out our show notes with links to anything we talk about, it is at googleteachertribe.com slash 67. Hey,
1: Tribe. It's almost time to wrap up this episode. But before we do, Matt and I have a couple of blog posts that we wanted to share with you. And my post is actually a guest post from Mike Muhammad, who you might remember from a couple of episodes back. And Mike is using e-portfolios with his students or what we like to call now learning portfolios. And he uses Google Sites to create these. And he shared some of that in the podcast. But I asked him to to write a post to help more teachers understand the whole process. And so in this post, you're going to learn not only like defining sort of the different types of portfolios, because there's a lot of different approaches to this um, from a a pedagogical Mm -hmm. standpoint, standpoint, Point. Is that a real word? I think yeah. I'm making up no, more that, words that, today. Real word, yeah. That one's good. Pretty yeah, good. I was like, pe- I already got thrown off by trying to say pedagogical. <laughs> So somebody will correct me, I'm sure, as the argument goes on on that. But uh, the point is that there are different ways that you can use these. You can have showcase portfolios. You can have um, the growth over time showing the learning type of portfolios and a profile type of portfolio as well. And. Mike is doing all of these. And so he shared his students' pages um, through this post, which is fabulous, because now you have examples. You can see what this looks like. And then we also have the how-to part of it. So in terms of how to use Google Sites to create these, and it's actually so easy. The new Google Sites is fantastic. So we've got screenshots and everything to help you get started. But, you know, there's a lot of schools who have been doing portfolios. And, you know, as we've transitioned into the new Google Sites, trying to fill in some of the gaps that we, we lost in our features. But I think we're there. And I think everyone is, is really going to see how powerful a strategy this can be with your students.
2: That's such a cool idea. And Mike's got such a wealth of, of information. So yeah, definitely check that one out. I have a post to point you to, and this one is sort of a crowdsourced one. On Thursday evenings at 10 o'clock Eastern... Nine o'clock central, eight o'clock mountain, seven o'clock Pacific. (laughs) I've gotten kind of used to doing that. Um, we have our 30 minute ditch book Twitter chats. And each week on the ditch that textbook blog, there is a recap of the, the greatest and most useful, um, tweets from those, uh, from those chats. And we're always sharing just a, a huge list of resources and links and ideas that you can use. And so on our most recent one, we were talking about homework, and of course, uh, Alice Keeler and I co-authored the book "Ditch That Homework" uh, for people who are looking for alternatives to homework and who just aren't getting the results and are ready to try something else. And so, we put that out to the the Ditch Book Twitter community and got a ton of ideas. So much so that we have this post called "25 Ways to Ditch That Homework," and of course, some of them are Google infused. So um, you you might want to go check that out and see what the um, the Ditchbook Twitter community has uh, contributed. And of course, on Thursday evenings. At the uh, times we mentioned earlier, 10 o'clock, it's 10 o'clock Eastern for me, all the way across to seven o'clock uh, Pacific here in the United States. If you want to jump in, it's only 30 minutes long. We would love to have you. And if you've never done a Twitter chat before, then um, you know one place to go, you could go to ditchthattextbook.com slash Twitter. I've got kind of a Twitter guide for teachers and that can kind of get you started. So I wanted to mention that, but I also wanted to remind you that the Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit opens this week. So it starts off on the 14th with our very first video presentation. It'll be from the fantastic Ken Shelton. And um, so if you haven't gotten a hold of your free ticket for that, head over to ditchsummit.com to be able to get access to all of those video presentations. It's just like a conference where you go to a keynote and breakout sessions and all of that, but it's all online. You can get certificates of completion. You can submit for professional development credit, and of course, we have had uh, friends of Ditch that, or excuse me, friends of Google Teacher Tribe on the uh, on the summit, including none other than the fantastic Casey Bell, my co-host. She's been on two of them. One was the um, the one that I did in conjunction with Q, and then she was one of the guests on the very, very, very first. Uh, I'm OG. You are. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> we've, al- we've also got uh, Tanya Avareth and Holly Clark uh, from the Google infused classroom who we've had on the show and they are also, um, there's video a video of them as well. So anyway, definitely go check that out. Get your free ticket at DitchSummit.com. right, tribe. So that puts a bow oh my goodness, see where I went there? Like a like a, a Christmas present bow, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know. Okay, that puts a bow on this episode where we are talking about holiday fun in the classroom. You've got lots of things that you can go back to, lots of ways to infuse coding and creativity and just a whole bunch of fun in with your classes. You know, at this time of year, it is so important, I think, to um, just remember that there is joy in teaching and in interacting with those kids. And this is a great way to do that um, so anyway hope that you have a fantastic holiday season and are able to try some of these things out uh, please do of course be in touch with us at the gt tribe hashtag on twitter or at googleteachertribe.com. we would love to stay in touch with you and so that wraps it up for episode 67 of the google teacher tribe podcast and we will see you on the next episode
1: bye y'all